Hello there. On behalf of the High Score 510 team, I would like to say thank you for listening to our show. As we prepare for our sixth season, and pumpkin spice season, of course, we would like to present to you our best of season five featured guests. This is a compilation of conversations with some of our featured guests from season five. Please check out the links in the description to support our guests and their continued work. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com backslash highscore510. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Highscore510, where real talk is our vernacular. Racist ass targeting channels, right? I want some good shit. Target some shit towards me eating a salad. Nah, you want to see me get diabetes? All right, Aaron. So just look, looking at your zip code, can you name three places that sell salads? Ain't no such place over here. <laughs> Trust hey, me. There's that new market that right down the street, the black owned market. That market ain't a bad market. I give them credit. They ain't a bad market. But you know, the problem is they, they ain't a bad market. That's all. Is it about say. the land they they built it on, where it used to be? What used to be there? <laughs> That's the problem. You know how like when you when you built something on an old Indian burial ground, you might have to haunt it. It's like a crackhead burial ground. It's like a crackhead <laughs> burial ground, right? Except for the crackhead is not dead. They just walking outside the front door. Dude, like, <laughs> look, I'm gonna tell you this: you buy Trabani's yogurt, which is all fat free. You bring it to the house, and somehow that shit turned into your play. It's a crackhead burial ground. I went there the other day, Jerry. I'm not gonna lie. I bought a kombucha there. And then when I went back in my fridge to drink some, it was fucking Sunday delight. They built a grocery store on a crackhead burial ground and I'm I'm getting hunted by high fructose ghosts. So to answer that question, however, about um, how many African Americans you know come out of each hike, I, I, I it, it ends up being about seventy percent African American on each oh, hike, mm-hmm. um, and the group started out primarily as an African American hiking group, you know, but yeah. we, you know, we we've evolved and um, you know we we find ourselves being as inclusive as you know as, we, yeah it's possible. Again, if you if you look at any photos of ours on Instagram or Facebook, you see like we are a rainbow and that speaks to the content of character of like the group. But we also let people know, you know, this isn't going to be a gentrified group now. All right. This group is, was created for black people is led by black people and is, is uh, black people centered. So having said that, if you do, if you do choose to come and partake in hikes with our team and our group and our tribe, then know who you're going to be with. And we have an amazing amount of, of great non, you know, African Americans, whether it be white, Asian, all across the board, uh, that we wouldn't be the same without them. So we, I'm, I'm happy that they're that they they hike alongside us sort of each week. We're a better group because of them. Mm-hmm. What are some of the places around the Bay Area? A couple of hikes that you highly recommend people that are maybe hidden gems that people might not know about, or good day hiking. A great option for me, and, and just a gold mine is is Marin County. Uh, yeah. Marin County is a gold mine of hikes. It has the ocean, it has the green, it's where Muir Woods is. So many trails out there, but one, one in particular that I like to do is um, parking at the Panto Racer Station um, right there in Marin um, off Imperial Highway. Uh, there's a parking lot there and from the parking lot, you can take uh, a coastal trail. And that coastal trail uh, starts out in the woods, but eventually you are hiking along a ridge that you know to the right of you is the forest and to the left of you is the, is the ocean. So mm-hmm. 
you know, man, I mean, you get, the, you know, the ocean vibes. It's it's outdoors. It's, you, you get the vitamin D. You, you know, you like, it's a mini vacation. You think to yourself, man, this is not the Bay Area. So that's that's a, a 30 minute drive. That's a 35 minute drive from say Lake Merritt. Okay. Mm. Um, and it's funny I said it because a lot of these hikes that we, a lot of these places we go to, uh, and we after the hike, we'll post uh, pictures of the hike. We know we'll get those comments online. Where is this? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, this is 20 minutes away from the house. Okay. This isn't that far. So in Fives and Hikers, does a great job of like posting where the hike was, posting trail maps that we that we use on the hike so that even if you don't come with us, you know, Fives and Hikers, you know, is, is inspiring, you know, people of color, especially to, you know, decrease um, the level of anxiety and increase the level of interest and you know, you know, what, what happens when they, when that, what happens when we start hiking more? Well, you know, we start talking about the value, the values of hiking. Um, and it more than the fact that it's just a great cardio option. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when we talk about mind, body, and soul, I'm just talking about the, the, the body portion of it, but we're talking about the, the mind portion of it. We're talking about the release of endorphin, the re- release of oxytocin. I mean, you know, studies have shown that, uh, endorphin and, and oxytocin are, are two hormones in the brain that are released when you're out in nature. And those are, you know, the love hormones. That's the, the feel good hormones. What happens when you go back home and, you know, your, your, your husband, or your wife is, is maybe stressed from being at, at home, you know, the whole day, but you filled up with oxytocin. Hey, baby, it's going to be okay. How's that? You know, let's go out to lunch. You know, so we're, we're like, we're the start of it. We're, we're, we're planting the seed of like good feelings and, and, and love in our community through the hikes. And then mm-hmm. we're hopefully we're having people taking it home to their families and to, into their neighborhoods and let it spread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why Aaron keeps his women inside. So I stopped going on hikes because last time I went on a hike with an ex-girlfriend, it went all bad. Yeah. Oh, hey, <laughs> it did not repair that relationship. She chose the dips, the deep sea route, deep sea route over there in Marin. And, and, and we hit it at the wrong point, right? Like I like to, I ain't gonna lie. I like to do my hikes where when I got the most energy, I like to start low and go high. I don't want to end going high. She started the wrong way. We started high, went low. Then she was using it as a way of working out. And see me, I was going to the gym every day. So I'm like, this ain't a workout. This is, it was like off of a, it rained the nights before. So you had all the smells, the ferns were out, all of that. I'm excited. I'm trying to take my time, smell shit, you know, and do the usual. And she over here trying to, you know, get a burn in and a sweat. And it was all bad. If it wasn't yeah. if it wasn't for us finding soul food that day, that's how I found it, Jared. That day, that, that worst <laughs> hike ever, soul food in, in San oh, Rafael. You know it it would have been an all bad day. Yeah, that is an after that's an after hike spot we love to go to. Oh yeah, no doubt. That's a soul food sponsorship. Come on our show. But let me give you guys a, a local hike though. Walking Miller Redwood Regional. I like walking. Amazing parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, one trail in particular that I like. If you don't want to end up um, hiking with the, you know, you, you don't want to end up parking at 1030 in the morning there and having the entire parking lot full because everyone's out hiking. Off El Camino Mountain Boulevard <laughs> is, uh, is the start of a trail. It's Palos Colorado's trail. Again, it's right off Mountain Boulevard. I've done that one. That is a great one. I took my dog on that one. Trail, right? That it, goes right into, it goes right into Joaquin Miller Park. I mean, there's trees. It's green. It's, it's, it's within that canyon. Yeah. It's a great trail. But everyone doesn't know that trail. And Hey, I might get in trouble from the locals by sharing that trail because for for so many of them, that's a hidden gem. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but certainly that that that's certainly one that and um, you know, EB mud passes aren't hard to get, 
Uh, if you were to go to the EB Mud uh, website, Watershed website, it's not hard to pay like $10, you get a year pass, and then you get to access to a, a number of additional trails that aren't available for the general public, which hmm. allows you to hike with some friends without feeling like you have to dodge, you know, the onslaught of, you know, hike rookies that yeah. are, you know, walking, um, walking the, the, okay. the trails these days. Is this a good way to meet new people? I love I'm, it. I'm starting. I'm starting to see. Like as I look at the pictures and everything, it seems like you can you can probably meet just just by you being here. I can see you're level minded. Actually, with the very first thing you said, like you was talking about the anxiety and stuff at the gym, I was like, dang, he took that right out of my head. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, okay, maybe we can meet like minded people this way. People have met on on the on the trails with five tonight because have gotten married. People have gotten. Um, right. People have had babies, not on the trail, but they met and then had babies later. Well, Aaron, would, Aaron, would, Aaron would try to make a I'll baby. I see them on that trail. There's one guy here that somehow can see five babies on one trail. His name is Jason Derulo Grayson. Uh, uh, I, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he had the energy because he was walking. No, man. People have met and traveled the world together. I mean, there's people that I've met on these trails that I'll know the rest of my life. Yeah. And not every one of them are is going to be my friend for the rest of my life. Right. Everyone in the group even likes me, you know, yeah. you know that, 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 that's perfect. I don't perfect. like everybody on this show, so it's perfect. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. And I don't like everyone on, on, on the trail specifically, but <laughs> think about it. That ends up being such an enriching part of the group that's so beyond uh, just hiking on a trail. Because the truth of the matter is, you're not coming back to us because we showed you a trail you liked. You're not coming for that. Yeah. You're coming because, you know, you know, my buddy Raymond, you know, King, who's probably the best trainer in the Bay Area and gives up his Saturday morning because he wants to be connected with the group. Is that um, a Circus King, is it? That's it. That's exactly what it is. Circus go yeah. with you? Oh, I got to come now. I know Circus yeah. from school. Man, circus <laughs> That's my boy, small Circus. Yeah. Yeah. Small world. He's a legend, man. And, and, and like, yeah, like said, it's a small world. You know, yesterday we're on the trails and before the trails um, start up, we, we, we break up in these little groups for two, three minutes and we say, hey, we got groups of six, seven people. Uh, we want to find one thing we have in common between the six and seven people that, that are that are in each group. OK, so two, three minutes later, we find out, you know, hey, we went to this school together or, hey, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're all from here. We're all from there. And, and, and I, I try we try to promote this whole idea that, you know, it is a smart world. We're, we're more connected than people thinking this isn't like mm -hmm. be on a BART train and everyone has their headphones on you know, on their phone and no one talks to anyone. And as a matter of fact, if you talk to someone, you might think it, the people might think that you're a weirdo. You know, we promote, you know, camaraderie and 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 connection. It's social connection. The reason why I come to Five Tonighters isn't because of the trails. It's because of the, the social connection of it all. I see. I see, man. Yeah, man, you mentioned that. I, I was just thinking about Circus mm -hmm. the other day. I mean, yeah. he's cool as hell, man. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah. yeah he, he's he's hey, every Saturday morning, man, you'll see him right alongside you know, the, the fastest uh, people on the trails and the slowest people all along me, the guy is just a solid human being. So he is you know, he's one of those great people that you got to have in your life. And those are, the, you know, guys like him are the, the pillars of, our, of the, the regulars. Now, the, the regular hikers that come out week after week, faces change, you know, people come and go. Um, but the culture of five hikers is one of people like, you know, Raymond King, or I can name, you know, Joe Scott, I can name great people that are solid individuals that make you want to like, I want to know you. I want to be yeah. your friend. We, we say, hey, if you come to the hike with 100 people and you haven't made a new friend by the time you get to your car, you've lost out. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why I feel like I just had one of the iconic, iconic 
Cut. What is it? I can't get it out. Cutty Hold corner on, shout man. out. <laughs> Too eager. Too eager to say it. Cutty corner shout out was one of uh, was one of my cutty corner shout outs. Was trying to meet people and trying to be find like minded people, and it's something difficult to do because I'm in the trucking industry. And you also in Arizona. And, I don't know how the hell you're yeah, in there. Arizona. So, <laughs> but you know, just trying to meet like minded people. I never thought of you know hiking or going out in these groups to try to change the narrative I, you know i'm stuck in my own little box yeah. i don't like getting out that much so aaron you, you you talked about hiking with a girlfriend one time right and i tell people all the time like hey bring a woman to a to a mountain and go hike up a mountain with her and you'll get to know her real quick y yes and, uh, yes yes <laughs> you know, that's like a great, that sounds like a great and, day hey, same for women take your man out you know i, I tell women all the time mm. take your man out bring him up a hill and see how he acts halfway up a hill with a little bit of sweat forming on his forehead Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See if he's still, see if he's still suave. See if he's still got good conversation skills. You run that's when I that. pull out my machete and start. <laughs> exactly. That's when, that's when they run away from Jared. Like, okay, this motherfucker, <laughs> this motherfucker bought a machete to a hike around Joaquin Miller Park. <laughs> so, Quinn, we, we, we understand that. Well, actually, I understand because I sent you mm. in a certain movie. Um, yep. And in, in, in hearkening to your roller derby days, which we might get to a little more because I, I do have a question about that. But um, you were in the uh, Harley Quinn Birds of Prey movie, I understand. I certainly was. I mean, I'm telling you, roller derby, it, it, it pays in dividends. You think, mm -hmm. you think you're just about to do a little, your little side, uh, side sport and suddenly it, it gives you all these opportunities. So, yeah, you know, Harley Quinn, her actual character... Uh, plays roller derby that's part of what she does and the the writers and the director of that film really wanted to have a roller derby scene so luckily I live in LA and they put that call out and I, I got to be her we're on the opposing team but I sort of am her her main person that she's going up against her nemesis and uh, her nemesis yeah her nemesis Ooh. and um yeah you can catch me in the first what was that five ten minutes of the movie uh -huh. Get my uh -huh. ass beat by Harley. <laughs> Breaks my nose. Oh, snap. And so yeah. um, the one question is, is uh, Margot Robbie as beautiful and pasty in person <laughs> as she is in that movie? Not, not pasty, actually. <laughs> but yeah, she, you know, Hollywood actresses are very, they're actresses for a reason. They, they really are beautiful. Like they, if you walk past them on the street, you will be like, wow, you would do a double take. She is, she is gorgeous and she's very nice. She was, she was pretty good on her skates already. She did that with that Tanya Harding movie. Yeah. Um, so oh. she already knew, she, she knew how to, how to skate on ice skates, which is very different. So she was pretty good already, but we had to teach her how to like move and block and you know, sort of make her way through. She was doing most of her own kind of work on the skates and stunts. Uh, she had a, she had a stunt double who was also an ex-teammate of mine, who was a very young person who was like, yeah. What do you want me to do? Like she, she didn't. I was like, you're gonna break a bone on this on this set. <laughs> she didn't care though. Uh, so like the the really crazy things her stunt double did. What was that like being on set? Of like was that over just like the course of one day, or did that take a couple of days to get set up and and shoot? So that is the biggest set of I have been on. I've done a considerable amount of roller skating stunts on for shows and things like that, but I have never done such a huge budget movie, and that is 
a crazy experience. Like I just, I cannot believe how much money Hollywood has sometimes. That's where I always come in. Like it, it, it was huge. The amount of extras that they had, that they had to pay just to stand there. Yeah. So many, like the amount of money that they spent, you know, that was maybe three days of work for me. It was that sh the actual shooting was one day, but we had, we had a, like a rehearsal day and we had, you know, you have to go get fitted for your uniform, your uh, costume. That's another day. So it was basically three days of work. The funny thing about that movie, and I can always tell which of my friends have asked, I can always tell who really knows me versus who doesn't know me, is my character comes back and she flips Carly off. And people that really know me are like, that wasn't you. The, what happened there? <laughs> so what ha what had happened was you can work without joining SAG. Yeah. For, like for I don't know however many times, and then at some point they're like, no, you got to pay us. If you you got to be in this union. You're work you're working as an actor. So I had done I had done completed my whole time on set, and they called me and they're like, oh, SAG just told us you're must pay, and I was like, oh shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying. Like, I'm not trying to be an actress. Like, I'm like, how much is it? It's like $3,000 or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'm not paying that. And so they were like, uh, like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, shit. And I'm like, a, I'm, they need my scene. Like, they can't just cut me out of it because they need that scene. So they were, I guess afterwards they were like, oh, we need one more scene with Harley and, uh, you know that her nemesis and so they're like call quinn they're like oh shit we can't call quinn she she's not sag so they ended up casting some other girl to oh. that scene let's go bad yep so they filled you in with just a, with some other black lady yep who looks nothing <laughs> like me <laughs> I, was like, I, 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 I saw that i was like was there two black ladies on the exactly, exactly. Like, was, was she Quinn's sister? Or like, was she yes. bad? You broke my sister's nose. Fuck you. That's bitch. right. That's, that's right. See, that's, that's the right. see. That's the question. Like, like, are so? Are you happy that they chose another black woman and not just found like some Puerto Rican or something? Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> not even. Not even. They would have found. I I'm really good with it. <laughs> but yeah, it's another black actress. I'm almost uh, see you almost scare me. I was afraid to tell you that my one of my sisters used to work for SAG for years. <laughs> they come, they're like the mafia. Well, she moves. She's now with the Directors Guild now. It's I mean all those <sighs> guilds they yeah. they 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 work for you, but they want the I mean they want their money. Yep, yeah. yep. Kept so, her employed, so I couldn't get bad at that. Exactly. Point. <laughs> so for SAG, they, you have to pay like a upfront dues to to join in after a certain amount of time of uh, doing screen work or film work. Yeah, like they basically don't want people just working rogue out there, you know. And mm -hmm. and and what they do is they make sure that people are being paid the proper amounts, and you know because. I mean, productions will screw you over as, as as easily as they possibly can, you know. So they make sure people are being paid the proper amounts. That you're getting your residual checks. That uh, you know that you're only working the amount of hours a day that that, that the guild has um, said is okay right. for you yeah. to work. You know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So you know it's a it's great and it's and if you want to actually be an actor you have to be you have to get in there but that's not you know my goal and there, you know there are other perks that you get along the way but i'm in the writers guild so i'm like well tell me what the different perks are like how are they different and my perks are the same plus what they're getting over there so 
I was like, I'm not paying that $3,000. I'm sorry. And again, it's, it's worth it for somebody that is actually trying to uh, pursue that as a career, but yeah, it wasn't for me. All right. Well, um, let's move on to our, our next topic. One Night in Miami came out <laughs> to uh, much praise on Amazon uh, Prime Video. It's a story about a, a meetup of four great black icons of the time. It was written as a, as a theater piece to tell a hypothetical of what that night was like where Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Malcolm X all were together in Miami the night that Muhammad Ali beat Sonny Liston. The piece uh, delves into some uh, interesting things um, about what those conversations uh, and interactions would have been between the four who were all more or less at the, the variable peaks of their fame and acclaim at the time and what it could have meant to the civil rights movement and the continued struggle of black people at the time. So did you guys all see the movie? Pedro, did you see the movie? Yes, I did. Oh, you watched it? You really did? It sound like he's lying, man. That sounds like a straight lie. I can tell that's a lie. He, he sounded all official. Yes, I did. <laughs> what do you mean? That's all I know he's lying. Yep, see, about the beginning. Beginning they had the, it was lights, cameras, somebody, somebody on stage. Somebody on action in here. Somehow Pedro on his version got to, see the, got to see the director thing clap down. Hey, somebody was holding a guitar. I was like, wow. All right, stand-up comedy, Eddie Murphy or Dave Chappelle? This is okay. all personal opinion because it's a win-win. You can't go wrong. Yeah, no, no. They're both, absolutely, they're both great. To mm. me, though, like, Eddie Eddie had a short stand-up window because, again, he blew. Like, he, he got to where he didn't actually have to do stand-up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chappelle stayed in the comedy in trenches his whole career. You know what sure. I'm saying? So... That's what led to him being where he is now. But mm. in my opinion, Raw is top three albums of all time. Like the hype, how high Eddie went with Raw, I don't know if Dave has reached. But like the mm. longevity of the career, I would say you would have to give it to Dave, stand-up wise. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? But to me, what Eddie Murphy did in Raw, yo. Mm -hmm. That's like the comedy training tape. You know what I'm yeah. saying? That's, I mean, yeah. he put everything in there. Callbacks, like the bit. Uh, it was, it was man. It was, to me, that was one of the greatest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We and, used to watch that in the dorm. We used to watch We're All in Delirious. Just, I swear, it felt like we watched it once a month. Both yeah, of them, once a month. That's funny. That's how me and my friends were with uh, Coming to America. That was mm -hmm. like our movie. We wore that out on VHS, then DVD, like, you know what I'm saying? It's funny you say, like, listening to things. Aaron, you remember us listening to the Eddie Griffin album? Oh, we listened to that. We, we, we wore the right. Eddie we Griffin album <laughs> we, we, out. My, my brother-in-law had it on CD, so we dubbed it on tape. I think we both, the same night, Pedro dubbed it, and I dubbed it. So we had our own tape. And we just very, out another, another very underrated comic, yo. <laughs> yes, yes. Eddie Griffin, yeah. Eddie Griffin is a beast. You know what I'm saying? No, I like Dave Chappelle. I think, yeah, I think like you're saying, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Murphy had the opposite of like what Leslie Jones had. He was able to like, you know, take the next step and yeah. adventure of becoming a star and making money. But then, you know, yeah, Dave Chappelle, my brother told me a story. He was in Sacramento around the time Chappelle show. It was during Chappelle show was out. And he went to a show. Dave Chappelle was doing a stand-up show. And people just kept screaming, I'm Rick James bitch during the set. 
And so he like got frustrated and like walked off, like because he was just like he's trying to do his stand up and he's trying to work on the craft that like is like his craft. And so he left, and then people like kept screaming Rick James, and he came out. And he's like, hey, like I understand y'all like Chappelle's show, you know, the, it's its own thing. But like he he basically said, this is this is what I work on. This is this is my passion, you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know, for y'all to keep interrupting it and screaming shit out from the show, I appreciate the support. But at the same time, you're interrupting me from doing what I'm what I what I love to do right now. So I thought I found that pretty um, an interesting point. Um, of one of the reasons why he probably walked away from Chappelle's show because he had all kinds of, you know, people that, you know, the show maybe wasn't intended for to to, to appreciate as much, screaming out every little one-liner from his show. But then also, like, you know, I think he loved he loved his craft and he, and, and he had that he had that crossroads in his life. But Chappelle, also, too, the suits but, was trying to get involved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For, like, mm-hmm. the, first, the first season and a half, they never came down to, to him recording. You know what I'm saying? Like, they didn't mm-hmm. even actually know what was going on for the first year and a half, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And then once it blew up so much, they was showing up every day saying, put this in there and let's do this, have this. And you know what I'm saying? That's one thing I really respect about Chappelle is he is all about the art form. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like to walk away from $50 million, you gotta be about the art form. You know what I'm saying? And then he (laughs) ended up getting it back when he came back, but he didn't know that at the time. He didn't know. When he left and came back, Netflix was going to be waiting with a $40 million deal. You know what I mean? So yeah. he, he took a chance and it, and it worked out for him. And I always like to see that because he basically bet on himself. Because when he left, no one knew he was going to have the comeback that he had. You know, it, yeah. it looked like yeah. he was leaving his career on the floor, you know? Well, yeah, especially the way Hollywood works. Like if you if if you wrong one big, big enough producer or company, like they can make it to where it's going to be hell to get a job anywhere. Yeah, I don't know how he walked away from that 50 million because ain't no way in hell I'm walking away from 50 million. Well, you know, what's crazy is that in like, roll me away from like it's like 2008 <laughs> or nine, um, he was kind of making like his, he was starting to make appearances and he was in Oakland. He was at the New Parish, shout out to New Parish uh, sponsorship, the New Parish in downtown Oakland where he did like basically almost, it was like at least two weeks of like two shows a night at this spot. He was there every night for two weeks. He That's did his press thing. He did this thing where he did a small like this venue had just opened up. He he was friends with two of the guys who were running the venue and basically they got him there and like it was sold out every night for two weeks straight. And then because it was so popular um, and lines were around the block and this little spot that like as downtown Oakland starting to kind of re we wouldn't say gentrify, but reinvest in itself. Revitalize the revitalization. Like this new little venue, which was, you know, just starting out. Like he helped give that place a push and get it back on the map. So that was kind of dope. And then, um, yeah, man, like he he did two shows sold out all over. And then he came back for like another like two weeks after that, like later on, like a month later, did another yeah, two weeks. He did, weeks he did what so, Chris yeah. did in L.A. You know, that that's it's, it's like you said, Green, that's like a, a nod to someone who really likes the art or something. Because remember when Prince mm-hmm. did all the those form. shows, he, he stayed in L.A. after he did the form. Remember, it's like a year before he died. He did. He like stayed in L.A. And he performed every night at like mm. uh what was the house of blues it was like mm. five times a week he performed he didn't make the show expensive or anything you know my family are big prince fans they end up going i think my brother-in-law said he went to like 10 of them or, or more right my sister mm. went to a few of them my other sister went my niece went they just kept going and it was just like it just made you say that oh he really likes the art of the performing my right. sister got mad because he kept bringing the stars on the t- uh, stage to, perform, to sing, help him sing his songs. They couldn't sing, but uh, but it, that was like Chappelle performing at that little house. He just likes the the art of that 
of the, the process. Comedy. Yeah, the process. Yeah. He likes the process because that's why I was gonna say that's one thing I I love about Chappelle is his process, man. He's all about the grind. Cause like what you said about what he did in Oakland, he did the same shit out here at the comedy store. Like he had this belly room show. Like the belly room is like the smallest room at the comedy store. It probably mm-hmm. hold 30, 40 people. You know what I'm saying? And he was doing a belly room show for for I want to say almost close to a year. And then uh, that became because his Netflix thing, he put out two specials on one day yeah. on, a new, on a New Year's, like a New Year's mm-hmm. Eve. It came out a few years back. Like that mm-hmm. was that was his two specials to Netflix for the 40 million. And one of those specials was the one that he had been working on. And so even as big as he got, he could still go to like a, a hole in the wall spot like that and create his process. Because a lot of times, once comics get big, they produce they set in like theaters. Mm-hmm. And that's a different that's a different form of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot harder to make 20 people laugh than it is 2,000 people or 20,000 yeah. people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That 20 person laughter that Chappelle's getting in them rooms, that's the real shit right there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like you could take that anywhere, you know. Dave Chappelle's my favorite comedian all time, so you know I'm I'm biased in that mm. way. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's I think they're both they're both legends that you know continue to expand the the opportunities of where comedy can go in their different ways, you know. And so, you know, you got to pay you know respect to to all of them and how they you know impact the scope of what this craft can be, whether it's in you know, saying some form of stand up or some form of like uh, sketch comedy or some form of movie making, whatever it is, they're they're, you know, carving out different avenues by which, you know, you can you can then have these new forms of comedy grow off of it. So um, and new th- people coming behind them in these thing, in these lanes that they open up. Exactly. Do you think Richard Pryor can get away with saying this these days in the cancel culture? In L.A. on TV, they'd be selling niggas. <laughs> yo, man, that dude was way, way, way ahead of his time, yo. Like, I mean, he would figure out a way, yo. He was that brilliant. He was just a yeah. communicator. It was just at that time, he that was pushing the envelope. Like, he would push the envelope today however close he would get as close as you can to that line for today yeah you know what i'm saying and maybe even go over it a little bit but yep. for for that time that was the line i think he did a great job of pushing that line to make it funny because i think there was a lot of fear between you know with race relations in america cultural you know relations in america like he was able to i seen white people laughing at that show i seen black people laughing at that show he was able to to deliver something that was so poignant make it you know, funny to where people could laugh at it, but also like kind of like what Chappelle does a good job with, like come away with like, oh shit, that's something to, you know, think about. I didn't think about it that way. Right. Yeah, I didn't think about no. it that way, but that shit was funny, but also like there's there's real truth to it. And and um, I think that's the craft of, you know, a great comedian is you tell the truth through your jokes, but at the same mm-hmm. time you make it digestible and funny so people aren't sitting there feeling like they're being lectured on how to live and how to be uh in some way but you get them to to, to gain some new understanding and perspective through your jokes the, the amazing ones uh, are really good at that so 
Absolutely. Don't forget, cancel culture was starting a long time ago. It just hadn't built up steam. Because remember when uh, your boy Reggie White said this. If you go to Japan or any Asian country, they could turn a television into a watch. And that was that was the benign <laughs> thing he said. <laughs> that was one of the nicest things he said. Uh, <laughs> true. I, I wish we had that whole set. Let's get to our uh, Traveler's Guide to Ireland, the good, the bad, and the WTF. Since we have our Irish contingency here and they are well-versed in their homeland, <laughs> they're going to give us some tidbits, uh, since it is our St. Paddy's Day special, on places that you want to go that you probably don't want to go and things that you might say, what the fuck, when you get there? Kind of like the Lion's Tea commercials, but those are gone now. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, gone? that's, that's, that's faded, faded no. out naturally, you know? <laughs> oh, the tea's no longer around? No, the tea's around, but they stopped using the, the, the minstrels. They ventured part, away know? from the minstrels, the minstrel <laughs> yeah. dancers. Let's go ahead and start with the good. So, uh, the good. Let's start with Ian Kelly. Kelly, Ed. what is one good thing that people should check out in the Traveler's Guide? Uh, most of, most of like, the national museums, or all the national mu- museums are free. So you can just kind of pop in and out. A couple of really good ones in Dublin. Uh, you have like the archaeology museum. So you can go in there and you can, they have all sort of Celtic jewellery that they've discovered from... They got a lot of the old Viking uh, suits of armor and stuff, and longboats that they've that they excavated in in Dublin and around the country. And you can kind of pop in and out of there, and it's it's uh, it's right beside like the Irish version of um, Capitol Hill. It's like the House of Parliament. Mm-hmm. So either either side of it, there's one's the, the Archaeology Museum, and the other one's like the National Library and stuff. But uh, yeah, free museums, and then you have all the castles and stuff like that. There's no, there's no shortage of like historical stuff. That's, that's pretty, pretty accessible and free. Yeah. A hard on for some castles. It's the, one of the places to go. I've been wanting to have some castle sex. So I'm going to find me a nice, beautiful, beautiful wide woman out there and say, let's go up into this rook. Paul, what about you? Uh, I think you're fairly safe. If you head down to the West coast, anywhere, any of the little cities down the West coast, Galway, Galway city is nice. And, <clears throat> Down, down to Cork, if you go down south, it's nice too. I mean, you'll find pretty much your typical Irish town, bars, that stuff. You're pretty close to a nice beach onto the Atlantic and everything out there. Surfing's pretty big out in the West Coast. It's a bit cold, though, so just bring a wetsuit. <laughs> oh, okay. How would you compare those cities to, like, if you were to compare them to, like, any California towns and cities, like the vibe? Um, Probably... San Diego esque without a lot of the weed culture. Mm. <laughs> and without not, the boring, not as big, and, and, not as big. <laughs> and without the boring ass people of San Diego. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, boring like, city ever. Yeah, D- Dublin's like a, a big European city, mm, uh, yeah. like a, like a major capital. Uh, Galway, the city Paul was talking about on the the west coast, which is only a two hour drive. Um, but that's more like the cultural capital. It's a very small city, uh, lots of little, like medieval streets and pubs, live music, uh, and like tons of like outdoor adventure. And there's a big university there, so there's always like the town is always hopping on every night of the week. 
So Galway, go for it. Yeah, Galway. Yeah, I, anytime, anytime I go home to visit, we always end up either renting the car or getting the train out to Galway. The King's right. Head, is it? Let me tell you. The King's Head pub, yeah, or the Keys. That's what Which you've said it. already already lets me know it's nothing like San Diego. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, Paul's full of shit. Yeah, nothing. nothing, I, I, nothing. Made, I, made, I made that up, to be honest. You know I've, never, I've never been to San Diego. I was going to say this. You know what? You might be right because I don't know if it's the wheat that makes San Diego, but San Diego does have that like pub culture and pub life, but the people are just like one of the most boring places. They just got breweries. They got a bunch it's of like, breweries. Let's go sit in a brewery and not talk. I mean, you know, at least in that, what you guys made it sound is way more exciting than San Diego. Yeah. yeah, and there's a there's a city down the bottom called Cork, which is like the Irish version of Bakersfield. Oh, that sounds, that sounds very interesting. That so is that? I don't want to go. <laughs> that's not part yeah, of the uh, game. You'll, you'll, you'll see if you have any listeners in Bakersfield. <laughs> Shout out to Bakersfield sponsorship. Or, or Cork, Cork, or Cork. <laughs> the armpit of California. Patty, how about you? What's your good? Uh, my good would be for any Star Wars fans, uh, go out to down to Kerry. Though the most recent Star Wars movies, Episode Seven and Eight, was filmed filmed on Skellig Michael, which is an island off the coast of Kerry. Um, it was old monk. It was a monk. Ref, uh, ref the monastery. monastery. Yeah. Monastery. Yeah, that's it. Um, so that's a big thing now in in Ireland. A uh, big tourism spot. Um, there's also. <coughs> On the way down to Kerry, there's a the Rock of Cashel, which is a massive castle in Tipperary, uh, which is a county in Munster, the province of Munster. And this um, castle dates back to the fourth century, um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Dope, dope. And you talking about this is Kerry is where Luke Skywalker was drinking Lorax nutsack no, juice. No, that, that was the island, wasn't it? Where yeah, that, that island, was the yeah. blue juice. Was he, he, was, he was he was he was jerking off the teat and then he was fishing with a pole that was like 80 feet long. <laughs> yes. What what that got in the water over there? That might need to go out there because that motherfucker was over here pole vaulting with a with with a blade and killing 180 pound fish. You know the porg things in that movie? They're like yeah. the, they they were just added because the local like puffin bird population was too big, they couldn't CGI them out. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, we'll just create these characters so we don't have to bother about cutting them out of the movie. Wow. The what? <laughs> that was right because of the puffins. Wow. Okay, so the puffins the puffins live over there. Yeah, the crazy colored beaks, yeah. I yeah. always wonder where the Jerry, puffins Jerry thought that's they why they're on, That's why they on the beers, right? No, Those are puffins. That's, Those that's are puffins. A, what's that called again? It's a toucan. No, no, they, they have that puffin cereal at Trader Joe's. You never they had do, the puffin yeah, cereal. Yeah, I've seen the puffin cereal. I've seen the puffin cereal. Yep. I always wonder about puffins. I was like, where are puffins from? I didn't realize they're from Ireland. Yeah, we know. We learned something already, Jared. See? They're not only in Ireland, though. Are they in other? They're in other places too, right? They're only in, in Ireland. Ireland. England. They fly. Yeah. Can they fly? British <laughs> Isles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Dope. Dope. Yeah, cool. they, they catch them with nets. So they, they don't fly to. very well. They, I don't think they fly well. Other good stuff. You've got New Grange there, which is like yeah, uh, this was a old uh, like burial chamber that's about two thousand years old, or in the pyramids. Mm-hmm. And whatever way that they built it, that's like a like a like a, a, a tunnel that goes all the way down to the center. But it was it on the the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice. Whatever way the sun comes up, it hits the tunnel like straight on. Apparently, mm. there's like a ten-year waiting list to to get a get a ticket to to see the sunrise go down there. But yeah, that's that's pretty it's pretty cool. Lots of history shit if you're into that. 
which I am. So. All right. Also, well, I mean, Trinity College, the library inside Trinity College is pretty amazing too. And see the Book of Kells, which is a Celtic Bible that's normally held there. I went when I was back last year. It wasn't it wasn't on display, but normally it's on display um, at, in the in the library in, in Trinity College. Yeah, tr- Trinity is the, the college that Paddy wishes he had uh, att- gotten into. But... <laughs> what did, I went to two universities. Like, that's how smart I am. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, a big college in the, in the middle of the city with the, the old Book of Kells. But they also filmed a bit of Star Wars in there as well. Or they took the that long room library as the Jedi temple in the the pre uh, the prequel. So there's some pretty cool architecture in in Ireland that that is that's that's what I'm getting. Some it's Dublin we most, it would be the the best for architecture, um, mostly Victorian. Right? Yeah, George, yeah, Victorian, Georgian, Georgian. Yeah, the that's when they. They started, they started getting a lot, a lot of money in. And they started becoming a pretty wealthy city then. But and if you go, if you go along um, Marion Square, there's you see these Georgian houses, and uh, the windows are on the first floor are bigger, are larger than the windows on the on the top floor. And this was because of the, the daylight tax mm-hmm. put in by King, however I don't know. Um, but the, the poor people would live up, up, upstairs with the window where the window light wouldn't come in as much compared to downstairs. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Interesting. All right, all right. Is are all the streets cobblestone out there? In, <laughs> Dublin, in, in, in Dublin, there's a lot of cobblestone. The island is. I mean, it's like yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I was wondering what was going to be the stupidest question. When it rains, they bring <laughs> in the road, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fucking wild. It's a, yeah, fucking Jerry. Do they have color TV over there? <laughs> I only have color TV until I came here. Does, I'm surprised. Does everyone wear wool knitting sweaters out there? <laughs> All streets cobblestone with that. I have to drink for that stupid ass question. Right you know, you've been on tour with Andre Nicotina. We know Ayo for Yayo. Zion I, A plus from Hieroglyphics and Locksmith. I just want to know, like, what is what's like mm-hmm. the wildest experience or or story uh, that you've mm-hmm. had on tour? City, you know, what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna ask something similar to that, but you made it a lot, <laughs> a lot worse than my question. So, <laughs> I mean, I, not, we can't go backwards, so you gotta answer. How many question. dead prostitutes were in the trunk? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it one that doesn't incriminate me uh, too much, other than over drinking. Uh, <laughs> I think I probably kind of like blocked out the worst, the most incriminating ones. You know how mm-hmm. you kind of like yeah. block out those things and pretend that that never happened type of shit. It was on one of my solo headlining tours. So we were doing small, small spots. It was like four, five years ago. The small town called Lompoc. Or oh, Lompoc. I know Lompoc. It's a jail there. Yeah. That, that's and that's, that's like all that's, it is. Shit, I was going to say, that's all it is. We performed it for the person. You doing some Johnny Cash shit? <laughs> it was one of those towns where there was a bar that somehow... We had gotten in cool with with the manager of this bar, and she would just pay us to come there, pay us like five hundred dollars or some shit. Which at that point was like, shit, we're getting paid to go rap here, and she would just have a free. It would be free entrance, so no people weren't paying. So it just we'd just be the entertainment in the bar. But then it was like people would come because it was free and it w- it would be sick. So we we just kept going back there. But it was like it's, it's an interesting town. So it's like a square. It's like the square on the map. There's this huge prison there. And then it's just like the rest of the town is just kind of built around the prison to be mm-hmm. like 
houses and stores a little bit. It's a little grimy out there. I can um, imagine, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least so you got a bunch of security guards there, right? Because everyone works at the prison, right? We're about to hear this yeah, story. That might, be, that, that might not be a good thing, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> but so we had, so it was a situation where we had my logo or like my, my uh, mascot or whatever has been a, always been a panda. And so this tour, I had an album called the Good Panda EP. And, the, and this was the Good Panda tour. And so this one girl showed up in a panda outfit. At first, I'm thinking this is tight. I'm like, hell yeah, like, this is the type of fans I'm talking about. Uh -huh. Like, you know what I mean? Like, come out and represent and shit. So the show ends, everyone, we're like, it's like a group of us. We're all partying and shit. We invite everyone back, come back to the hotel. I was fucking lit. Like, I was hella faded this night, which always seems to happen to me at this bar. That <laughs> people would just give me hella alcohol and I'd drink it. <laughs> so I ended up throwing up and passing out in the bathroom that night, like literally on the floor in the bathroom. But apparently this girl, the, the panda girl, went out in our hallway and pulled the fire alarm. It was running up and down <laughs> that hallway, pulling the fire alarm. I didn't know about any of this until the morning, until the morning, because I was literally passed out on the floor, fucked up. The whole hotel had to exit because of this girl at like 3 a.m. And everyone had to go out in the parking lot. So we had to like dip out of there hella early in the morning, pretend we weren't. Pretend you, didn't, you weren't part of none of that. Right. But it was one of those situations where I got told about this all at like 8 a.m. Like, yo, Jay, get up. We got to get the fuck out of here. Like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I didn't even hear any of this the night before, but. That's hilarious. You know, yeah. you know what it made it even crazier if she just, that was just her normal wear. Well, that's what I found out. That's what I think I found out afterwards is I literally don't even know if she, I couldn't even tell you now if she wore that shit for me. Or, or maybe she saw that, like, the poster said the good panda tour, uh, but she didn't even know who I was. She liked, I don't think she was a fan of me, is what I'm trying to say. I think she was a wild-ass girl <laughs> just wears that on her Friday night or saw the poster with me in a panda suit and was like, cool, I'm going to wear that, too, when I come out this night. Or, I don't know, but she was not looking out for my best interest, I can tell you that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so to bounce off of that, where's your favorite city you've gone to? Shit, that's hard to say. Maybe Denver, Colorado. Like Denver's always uh -huh. showed me mad love. And I think the weed smoking thing, we all get down very tough on the weed smoking thing together. And it's always been sick. But like it, all the towns that hold this most special place in my heart are like these little towns. Like one that always pops into my mind is Idaho Falls, Idaho. It's one of those towns that you go to in between Boise and Salt Lake City, Utah. One of those in-between towns. It's like you're trying to go from this college town to this college town but it's a 12-hour drive so instead you stop here and do one show here yeah and it's like always those little fucking weird towns that i love kind of that it's like i would never be here and i would never see you guys if it weren't for this rap music right now like i would i have no reason to talk like that that we would ever cross paths and talk but now we are and it's like the fun shit for me is like going into the diner the morning after and like sitting there and watching people in this little ass town who are just living their lives there you know what i mean yeah. I, I hate sitting in the hotel room so if we show up and there's extra time i just walk around town and it's like one of my favorite things to do but it's so much more fun in these little weird ass like flat i don't know flagstaff arizona <laughs> I like flagstaff. Uh, <laughs> I, I like these like the little weird weird places that i kind of would never be otherwise yeah, uh, that's for me, that was uh, Davis. That's uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Davis, baby. That was a knock hey. on Jared. <laughs> you see Davis, baby. That's a spot. That's a spot. That's where I felt alienated from my Asian brethren. Shout out sponsorship. <laughs> What's the worst place you've been to, though? Like, 
the worst. Like, you're like, I can't wait to finish this show and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, I think Grand Junction. Colorado? Colorado. Also. Oh, man, we're Pedro. Yeah, that's, that's where he's Pedro. That's where Pedro is. <laughs> so that's he's... his truck stop every day. He's actually going there tonight. It was a weird-ass show. It, it was one that we did. I'm not going to say who I was opening it up for because I don't want to uh, put any salt on their name. But it was yeah. like a big It was a big venue that was fucking empty. Like, it was like a thousand-person venue, and there were like 53 people in there type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think they just lost their liquor license, like, a week before or some <laughs> shit like that. It sounds like, like the Oakland Metro. <laughs> yeah, yes. I was opening up for a much for a bigger artist and, and we were getting good, you know, like four hundred person crowds most places. And that one was just like, What the fuck is going on here tonight? And then talking to people, they're like, Oh yeah, everyone's down the street because you can't drink here anymore. Like, fuck this place. <laughs> but we still can't we had to come see you still or whatever, you know. And it was just weird. It was a shitty ass show. It was super weird. And then we went to a restaurant and we went to like a, I, it, it might've been an IHOP or something like that afterwards. And there was like a group of 12 of us. We were sitting at two different tables. The waiter came over and was like worried that we were two like rival. I, I don't know if they would use the word gangs, but it's damn near. They were like worried that we were two like rival squads that had beef with the, each other and yeah. some shit. Cause it was like two tables full of like big, mainly black or Latino uh-huh. dudes in this white little town. But it was just like, how do you guys not realize that we're like together here? Like, I don't know. It yeah. was Cause weird... I'm sure somebody had to be bouncing table to table talking. Right. <laughs> it, it was a weird situation. And it was like one where we ended up at, at the end, just like had to get up and walk out. It just felt like kind of like a twilight zony situation where it's like, yo, let's let's just move on to the next night in Grand <laughs> Junction, Colorado. Yeah. I need I, like, I need to get drunk again, pass out on this floor. Right. <laughs> That's when you, yeah, you find out they lose their liquor license. You get that uh get those people selling those lumpias in front of Somar and tell them to bring a cooler full of beer. It was passed. Juneteenth is now a federal holiday in the United States of America to commemorate the slaves in Texas who were free, but not freed or knowingly free um, Uh two and a half years after the 1962 Emancipation Proclamation by your boy, that poor white Uh trash, Abraham Lincoln. Uh Um, So uh, (laughs) what do you guys think about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday? Does it does it, you know, make you feel empowered? Um, does it, uh, you know, saying give you hope, or does it just reopen the understanding that there's still much more to be done? Uh, for me personally, I'm I'm with the latter, man. You know, what I'm saying like it's equivalent to me of them like deciding to take down the statue of like Robert E. Lee or any other Confederate soldier whose only, you know, accomplishment was to rebel against our country in order to maintain slavery. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, if you know, people are like, man, why you know, it's just symbolic or whatever, but it these these things were put up in the first place to make us forget, you know, what's what like what we're really dealing with, you know? And so anything we could do to like serve as a reminder for me, I'm my ultimate goal is like, you know, black folks, I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't think we are ready for it yet, but I think, you know, we, are, we as a people in this country need to get a form of reparation 
that allows us to repair on our own terms, which is something we never got the opportunity to do. And so I think it brings us one step closer to that dream because because we ain't, we ain't going to stop making white people feel bad for any any you know any violation of uh, uh of racism any tinge you gonna get i don't care what you say uh whatever you know like what was that dude from the la clippers or whatever uh, uh, donald sterling bro yeah i don't give a fuck what you say about black people i want reparations until you get us that we gonna we gonna be he on got, he got he got the best reparations he talks shit and got an extra two billion dollars in his pocket <laughs> yeah nah 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 that's what i'm saying man i feel like we we end up going for these small victories yeah. because truly what we want is some real repair. And and I think the Juneteenth thing, you know, it ain't the thing. And I don't want people to start confusing it with the thing, just like electing a black president ain't the thing. But um, it brings us a step closer to hopefully where we need to be now. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's great to get tokens of, yeah. of recognition and appreciation, but still tokens yeah. are tokens. Yeah. You know, saying meaningful action and, yeah. you know, institutionalized forms of uh, recognition and mm. reparations would be would yeah. great. And yeah. that's one thing that you didn't hear in that Tony B. Conscious clip where he called it Coonteenth. <laughs> He, okay. was, he was that okay. was one thing he was saying he's like no nah, we need reparations fuck coonty okay. i want okay. reparations Con- contextually <laughs> you in line with what that brother was, was talking about so you might want to start calling it coonteeth if you ag3 what about you what is your take on juneteenth you know, I'm going to follow Dalek with everything he said, except uh, I'm going to put my little take on it. You know, I think everything he said and what you said has been absolutely truth and right. I agree. I've been, I've been one of those people hollering that from since 2008 when Obama first got elected. Like, OK, this is good. This is a nice step in the right direction. We ain't won shit, but it's a good step in the right way. I will say this, though. Um, as far as it being a little nice little token, a nice little carrot, man, man, I think it was disrespectful that they put it in the middle of the summer. But I guess it fell in. The, it's just so funny how the, how, the, how the chips fly, knowing how many black people work in the education system and we ain't going to get no paid holiday a day off because it's after school's out. You know, it's a federal holiday. So it's the same as like Memorial Day, things like that. Man, fall in the middle of summer. I ain't going to help me at all as far as work. But I do agree with everything else he said. I think it's interesting that they would... Um that they would make it a national holiday. I know a lot of people were critical of the fact that we're willing to make it a national holiday, but then there's this big pushback against critical race theory. So it's a disjointed form of, you know, saying acknowledgement for black people. And then I think that's one of the challenges and one of the unique things about the United States is that you have, you know, every state has its own sovereignty to a degree. There's a lot of states that are pushing back and not wanting to have critical race theory taught to their kids so we can learn and grow from you know what I'm saying, the uh, foundations of our country and its racial, cultural, and economic past uh, and, and how a lot of things that we take for granted today were, you know, put into motion and built into um, the systems and the and the forms of, you know, saying social understandings and, and mores that we have today. I find it interesting that we have a token holiday, but we're also pushing for these, these forms to, you know, better educate our youth, to better educate all the youth yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. That, the, that form is to better educate everybody. Yeah, to better our youth. Well, yeah, our youth. Well, the thing is, is that when when you have a uh, subjected class or an oppressed class that isn't even able to learn about itself, and it's, so it's a lot. It's even more lost. Um, you know, saying you give them, you know, less direction. Like the, the, we're already very much so a lost uh, ethnic or racial group in this country because of our history being so, um, you know, stunted 
And then when we tried to grow within the country, it's been stunted by other, you know, violent acts throughout the years uh, in, in our formations. So like mm. we've been stunted over mm. and over again. And, and there's such a gap between our our cultural, you know what I'm saying, uh, continental history um, that you have a group that is just, you know, saying lost in, 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 a, in an abyss of consumerism and is easily malleable to this consumerism, to this, this, this idea of what it is to be a capitalist in this country. So I think being able to hopefully gain that education would give us a new compass by which we can then move forward, you know, instill our own values and, and achieve our own goals um, in, in future, future forms. But, you know, I, I, I do agree with many people who are very critical of us getting Juneteenth without critical race theory. Um, beyond that, it would help everyone else in our country learn so much more about, you know, what I'm saying the racial components to our, our our country and how it played a major factor in the economic and social cultural structures that are alive and thriving today. And the impacts that race and that race critical race theory would give them would allow us to be more woke slash, you know, what I'm saying not you know, take advantage of forms of privilege or blindly or, or, or you know, saying fall into Karen, Karenisms or fall into, you know, saying stereotypes that are that are de uh, degrading to your own people because you understand the critical ways that this racialized country, you know, saying played on those things and instilled those things even in the people who are the oppressed and the abused to, you know, I'm saying inherently, you know, saying think are ways of validating yourself when maybe it's not the way to validate yourself. So, Pedro, what you think? We hear nothing you said. Oh, we so we talking about Juneteenth. Father Star. Yeah, he over there. He got the red light on. Man, you about to do that? What you about to do that? Uh, that silhouette challenge right there, bro. He, he about to do his father. about to do his Father's Day biscuit and a blowjob challenge. This uh, how this how I know. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> this how I know Pedro, a grandfather. Even he looked like my grandparents' house in Stockton, California. It's so dark in there. <laughs> so dark that it, that when a, when a light finally shine if it go through a color it just make the whole house seem red or purple yeah, yeah he got that bill duke filter on right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah prince philip and dmx both passed away this week um sadly or maybe one's more sad than the other i guess but who the uh, hell is prince phillips <laughs> It's, a, it's that dude um, who's married to that queen that uh, if I him and we the queen was, was shaming that beautiful white woman, Meghan Markle, and her it's beautiful like red-headed stepson husband. Um, what's we, his name? We got Prince kings and queens out here? No, nah, in England. In England, they England, England. Negro. <laughs> See, they, his family was on the wrong boat. Oh, man, I thought we only had his one boat. president. My his one boat president. Was Joe Biden. His boat should have went northeast. It's north, um, not northwest. Uh, Mr. President Trump. <laughs> He's stupid. Uh, well, I guess my question is, uh, with their passings, one probably leaves a bigger, bigger void than the other. But what is the lasting memory that you will have of DMX and Prince Philip? So when we start, when we start with uh, uh, Pedro, Prince Philip. <laughs> We still got princes out here in the street? I thought that was over with in the 1600s. What was the last king? The Martin Luther the King? Rodney King. Rodney King was the last king. Rodney King? He, we, I heard he was the king of uh, Alameda. Come on. 
Where did he live when he he got beat up? Didn't he leave, live in no no was it Azusa? What are you talking about? Rodney King. Rodney King. He didn't live in LA. He was or one of them valleys. What's some fucking old Rodney? We supposed to be talking about Prince. Prince Philip. You bringing up where the hell Rodney King was living? Like that shit got to do with me. I don't know. See the brick apartments in San Bernardino. How the hell I'm supposed to know? We still got a Prince. I thought Prince Roger Nelson uh, passed away five Come years on. ago. <laughs> He's stupid. Uh, <laughs> so, so Prince, uh, I, I mean, man, that white man ain't didn't have nothing to do with me over here. I was over here struggling when he was born, before he was born, and when he died, and I'm still struggling. He ain't helped my diabetes. He ain't helped my kids. He ain't helped my wife find a job. He ain't did nothing for me. That was all President Obama. So damn about no damn uh, Prince of, where are you from? Prince of Germany? Prince of Italy? Yeah, he's the I prince. Of one of them turkey princes? I, I don't know. None of, I thought he was a sheik. <laughs> Ask Pedro what he felt about DMX. Before, before they stop, before they take away a lot of action. Now, they now, already now took away affirmative action out of, out of state schools. They gonna take now, away all kind of. That's a king right there. The king. Prince Philip was the Duke of Edinburgh. The D- Duke of Edinburgh. Oh, I thought that was East of Vallejo. <laughs> trying to figure out why we talking about a damn prince and we live in America, Jack. I'm talking about no damn prince. <laughs> Plus, he don't uh, like niggas. But <laughs> damn about him. Man, lived a, I get obviously lived a great life. He, he was 100 years old. He was 99. Don't give him 100 times. Uh-huh, everyone, he was 100. Everyone keeps telling me he was 100. He was 99 years old, man. He was 100. He had a great, privileged, service, <laughs> white life. And I ain't, no, ain't going to see nowhere near 99. I'm trying to make it into the 50s. <laughs> DMX was 50. King DMX with had had a lot of uh this man was genuine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I knew I knew where this was going when he said he was um he overdosed and he coded. And I was like, yeah, he's not that's it, guys. And everybody was trying to keep him alive, everybody was praying, but I knew right there that was it, you know. Um I knew that was his final journey, but he left so much here with uh he was really genuine. He prayed for people. He touched people. Uh, in his raps, he, you know, he rapped in a certain way with so much energy and was speaking so much life at the same time. It's like how how do how do you get that talent where you just scream something? You know, most most of our holler rappers or whatever they're they're like hype man, but he was he was hollering. He was praying for people. All at the same time, he was really genuine. He had a rough life. Uh, I think his sister came out with a blog. It's just unfortunate that he didn't have the same privilege of that damn prince you're talking about, because he would have been been here living a longer life and being a greater man. We don't have those privileges. We got people throwing black children away. That's what his life was, was growing up as. And what he made of that, just where he came from, and see, you see all these concerts and stuff that they're posting and how he was beloved. So that's a great man and unfortunate loss, but I'm glad he left a print on so many people's life. Yeah. A real prince, a real king, and no fake white king. 
Damn, baby. You're giving out titles. You're giving out titles. This white king of France. Nobody know that, Nick. <laughs> you were here giving out titles. <laughs> I was, hey, that was 16 bars right there. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Uh, Pat, Pat, how about you? Yeah, you already see the Prince Philip DMX whole news cycle both happened Friday morning. Seeing both of them was like, yeah, that conversation at the Pearly Gates is probably really interesting. I just them talking to each other. I can only imagine. But yeah, Prince Philip had no real impact on me. Like you said, DMX was that person who like had his poster on my wall when I was like in third grade, fourth grade, you know? Like mm-hmm. that's what I listen to all of my life, all the time. Like quote him so often. Belly is saved on my computer. Like it got to that point that I couldn't even write like a piece about him. Like, nah, I'm not gonna do that. Um like we could chop it up, you know, and I could tell you about the significance of DMX's art and how it showed me that you can be expressive and still be masculine, that you can be the uh, bald, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That you can be, uh, and I'm joking, there's plenty of other bald examples, but no, he just um, <laughs> a really, a really, really, really genuine personality. Here we go. So I'm listening to Hidden Brain, the host, I butcher his name every time I say his name, is this like Sean Corradantes or something like that. Anyway, I'm listening to the Hidden Brain podcast and they're talking about how, um, people deceive themselves as a means to like survival. Like we do this all the time, especially like take for instance, your friends, you never just like shoot the shit straight with your friends. You kind of lie, you beat around the bush a little bit. And that's like the conscious mind is where we do things. DMX wasn't that type. Like his art was very, very truthful. And for him to be that honest and that open, that candid and, and it made for some media blunders and it made for some offensive language and homophobic lyrics. And just, it made for some, some shit. But given everything that he had been through, you can understand what informed him and what was poured into him, how it was coming out like that. And DMX fans, people who are real genuine DMX fans, there's a connection that I got to like some of my closest friends because of DMX's lyrics and songs. And so yeah, yeah, there's a lot to unpack with, with his life and his death. And I'm still working on that, but but yeah, last impact for sure. AG3, how about you? What what was it about DMX or Prince Philip for you? He, cry, he cried. He cried. Aaron cried. He called me. He said, Prince Phil's passed. <laughs> passed, man. Go. Go, no, not the Prince. He called me. Just Everybody who like, ever listened to me talk about someone dead on, you know, okay, for some reason, death never hits me hard. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was my mom. I don't know. Was it just everybody in my family passing away when I was young? It just doesn't hit me in that fact. Like, uh, Jared can tell you, Pindar, I'm sorry if I say your full name every time. It's just such a great name. You need to hear it. So, uh, so, so Jerry would tell you, I, I don't have a problem talking about the dead. I, I, my thing is I like to look at their life as who they were as a whole, not as, you know, like, 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 for example, when Kobe passed away, I was like, I'm not going to take away what happened in Colorado and act like impression under a rug. Right. I'm not going to take away what people or his former teammates say. Right. I add that to, this legacy of his being a girl dad and everything else now added to that because that's how you see this person it's the journey of their life that makes their life grand and scattered dms is kind of that same way so just to get prince philip off the way um i tell you this the world will be in a better place we ain't got to worry about him driving and hitting nobody out there in london Uh, i'm sure there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people in china don't have to worry about him saying racist shit no more and and let it be called gas back then Look, let me give you some of his greatest things. While on the Royal Tour of China, he once said, and this was, uh, what year was this? This wasn't even late, it's 86. 
86. So he's old enough to not say stupid shit and not old enough to let stupid shit fly out of his mouth. Right. He called China gasoline. He told British students that if you stay there much longer, you will be all slitty eyed. Right. He also said if it has four legs and not a chair, if it has wings and not an airplane and swims and not a submarine, the Cantonese will eat it. This is what his racist ass said. You know, like I, I look up racist, racist shit because I can be racist myself. Jared, one of those, I'm not one of those people that believe black people can't be racist. Yes, we can. Right? Everybody in this world can be racist. And this motherfucker was racist. It take, it take a racist to point out a racist, and that motherfucker was racist. When he once asked residents in 94 in the Cayman Islands, if most of them descended from pirates. In 2002, he asked the Aboriginal leader when he was in Queensland, do you still throw spears at each other? I mean, this is racial shit. And they're like, oh man, he had gas. Oh, he was from old school joking. No, no, he was a racist ass. He was sexist. He asked the Kenyan woman, was she a woman when she gave him a gift? In 88, he says, I don't think a prostitute is more moral than a wife, but but they're basically doing the same thing. He was just a sexist ass, dude. A female sea cadet told him he, she worked at a nightclub and he asked her it was a strip club. I mean, that, that was 09. It's like we allowed him, his title allowed him to be racist and sexist. He's on that Stan Lee tip. He's, he's on a Stan Lee tip. He's just saying whatever the fuck. <laughs> Stan Lee said a lot less. Like this dude uses privilege to say a lot more, man. And you know what? And I don't wish anything that is someone's father, that's someone's grandfather, that's someone's uncle that lost their loved one. And I'm sorry for that. But you know what? You know, I mean, life goes on. It's, it's just good we don't have to see someone in the royal family use more of his shit and say bigoted and racist shit unless they talk about Meghan Markle for now on. Um, and so... <laughs> that right? beautiful white woman. And then Jared keep calling her white. Jared, I don't know why white, man. Uh, anyway, uh, for DMX, you know, DMX for me, it was when rap started moving from hip-hop pages. Do you remember anybody using the word hip-hop when we were younger? I don't remember that word being used. Uh, hey, no, it wasn't, no, it wasn't, no. No, it, it wasn't, was, it wasn't a term. It was like, no, rap. it was rap because you couldn't, you couldn't look like if you look on genius, it was no word for hip hop. No, no, it wasn't at that word. time. Yeah. You don't find at it. In, time, you don't no. find it in rap, but matter, around... matter of fact, here's a little, there's a little fun fact for you too. You, you two younger guys, you know, they used to put rap music in with R and B when you used to look through Sam Goody warehouse, whatever, all the black music was in R and B. Old school, new school didn't matter. It was all in the same same uh, category. So I don't know if you're telling the truth because I know your ass didn't shop yes, at Sam Goody because it was too fucking expensive. You lying motherfucker! Your ass was buying singles at warehouse on sale. He <laughs> over here lying. Don't listen. He did not go to Sam. Mm-hmm. We would walk in Sam Goody and walk the fuck out because it was like everything was seventeen dollars in there. <laughs> and in the nineties, that was a lot of fucking money. Oh, we, we were making five dollars an hour. He did not buy anything for Sam Good. <laughs> the point was that hip hop, hip hop has always been around. What do you mean? I mean, it's always no, been no, around, no, but that no. term, that term yeah. wasn't used a lot back then. It was rap. Like if you're, you're a rap. rap like that was the way you separated it from R and B. It was rap, and then it was R and B. And then around the time of like the late, late mid to late nineties when rap became this billion dollar industry, you started hearing the term hip hop more, and it was you started seeing the fusion of it. Right. You started seeing puffy and people more sampling and not the sampling, the old R&B beats. But now you're starting to see like rappers and R&B singers on the same song. And you start hearing the word hip hop a lot more. And it became very when it became a billion dollar industry back in 99. It started becoming a little too popcorn for me. Right. All the videos had hype were hype Williams video. They were shiny. I was just not digging it no more until DMX came around. And that changed my whole world. I was like, 
I can still listen to this rap, right? Like, good. This is this is it. This ain't all this commercialized shit. Like after Tupac and Biggie died, the commercialization just really took off. And then DMX came. And then his second album, which came out the same year, was even harder than the first. Flesh of my flesh, blood, blood, blood. I thought people were lying to me because I'm like, ain't no artist came out with album that soon, right? And they're like, he got second album. I'm like, what? Me and my boy ran up to Tower Records, not Sam Goody. I don't know what the fuck this motherfucker talking about. Talk, he probably bought music on Sun Coast video. <laughs> Somehow Pedro was rich and hiding it all. He must have been hiding his money in the alley on, uh, yeah, on, on Florence. Where... <laughs> <laughs> talking about he shot that Sam Goody. So when the Tower Records on Telegraph bought that shit, and that shit, man, to this day, to this day, one of the one of the few, it's always on the phone. Whole album. I transferred the CD to a computer to put it on my phone. And look, I'm a big R&B fan. That's the thing you got to understand. I'm a big R&B fan. So when he came out with what's, go, what's really going on, like that touched me. That shit touched me. I don't know nobody in Yonkers. You know, when that shit happened, I was like, wow, this motherfucker's speaking to me, man. You know, mm-hmm. at that time, I had this uh, African-American girlfriend that was yelling at me about going to class. So that shit hit. Like, an American girl. And I'm like, who the fuck, you know, who the fuck she with, right? She uh, you know, it was the opposite. She was yelling, what the fuck I was with? And I was like, oh, shit. And that was the thing. It was much needed. He, his, the timing was perfect. He was the person we needed. Another crazy ass story. One of our boys, Nathan, I could drop his name on here. He'd been on the show before. Nathan went to a DMX concert. It was right around the Trump administration, right, when it first started. DMX did a concert in Philly, I believe, because Nathan was living in Virginia at that time. He's like, this is the craziest shit. It was this old black guy on stage. He brings this old black guy on stage wearing overalls. And he tells the audience, this is my dad. I just met him for the first time today. I was like, that's DMX. And it made me laugh, but I'm like, that's DMX who he is. Like Pedro said, like both of you guys said, genuine. Just genuine who he was. Didn't hide. I mean, you could say Prince Philip was genuine too. Genuine racist. But DMX was genuine, man. Just genuine. Like I met him for the first time today. I'm going to bring him on stage. Y'all going to see. Man. Yeah. Any given Sunday, the intro to that soundtrack is a DMX intro. Blew my mind. Really? That's my niggas. He's like uh he's like the Ray Lewis of rap. Except without that shitty ass dancing and the getting down on two knees. <laughs> well, DMX did have some shitty dancing. He also didn't catch a body, but yeah, he didn't kill nobody, I guess. But he did yeah, but say he was, he he was say a stick up guy. He said this lyric one time. One knee is for the team, two knees is for Jesus. That's why DMX couldn't be Ray Lewis. You can't compare him to Ray Lewis because DMX would be on one knee when D- D- Ray Lewis on two. He's <laughs> like, I'm on two knees. Nah, you know, DMX was, was tight. I didn't listen to his shit that much. So I know for y'all, y'all y'all listen to him way more than me. And my brother listened to him a lot, but I'll still listen to oldies and shit and Sam Cooke. So DMX has a song called like, yeah, on Rough Riders Volume One, has a song called like some X shit or something. It's like track 13. It's in the back of the album. It's a sample of the Ohio player's Funky Worm. And it's like, what is DMX doing rapping over the Ohio player's <laughs> Funky Worm? You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm an old school uh, lover as well, you know what I'm saying? And it'd be dope to hear the samples with this screaming, raging, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was the beauty of DMX is he, like you said, he would he would be on these old school R&B. Like, R&B was starting to get to a point where it was too poppy, I mean, rap. And he would take the old school R&B and rage over it instead of being all poppy and be like, hey, I'm going to make some commercial ass shit. He was like, no, nah, I'm going to have my shirt off. I'm going to cry about my fucking dogs. And I'm going to be out here screaming. Irv Gotti said, 
when Jay-Z was questioning, putting them on, him and Dame Dash questioning, I'm putting Jay-Z on, Irv Gotti is trying to get him on. He said, more people that live in the hood are like him than they are y'all. And that's the truth. The one thing that I remember from DMX, other than like, yeah, his his style though, like, which like, I think energy he brought and the rawness and grittiness of what he was saying and that, 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 that like Pedro said, bring that energy and how do you put like energy in those words the way he did was something that was like remarkable. And I think um, for him to put out three albums, like in the span of two years was even like just as remarkable. Like he's like, he put out this Man, block one of, yeah, he put out this block <laughs> of, you know, content mm-hmm. and just expression that I think it's kind of like, you know, Tyson as a boxer kind of like he has his legacy and it just mm-hmm. like, it just is something else beyond that. Right. And, but it, everyone will remember that era of Tyson and boxing. I feel like DMX was kind of that, that person who came in and, and hit the the hip hop or rap world so hard with this stuff that like he is 20 plus years later, people still know the name. People still know his shit. A lot of his stuff is still being used because of the energy and in, in the, in the sound, some is more poppy or, you know, mainstream stuff, obviously, but, but everyone just knows that that era, like that was that was X DMX, and 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 then he was able to spawn other things off with the Rough Riders, um, and and then you know bringing bringing Steven Seagal into the two thousands with some movies he did with them, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like I was I was like man Steven Seagal still got it, my boy DMX over here cradling to the grave and shit. I was like I fucks with this movie, but uh, there's something genuine about him, and even though he kind of fell off or he was. You know, he, you know, he, as you age, you know, you fall off as an artist or you, you become less, you know, in the spotlight, you know, um, you still like, well, think about it. When you think about hip hop, you still, you know, he still come to mind. Like, just like when you think about boxing, Tyson still comes to mind. You know, he kind of set a bar and a standard that like will always be yeah, that lasting legacy, which is unique because not a lot of artists have that. Like a lot of artists can be very commercially successful or, you know, have an album that does really well. And it's like the album of the year, but people will forget about it in a couple of years. Or people are like, yeah, I remember that jam. That was, that, was, that, that was a cool little era. That was a tight little jam. But like, you kind of move on from that music. Whereas I feel like X is like, that shit is like some cornerstone type shit in hip hop uh, history. So Prince Philip, um, I didn't I didn't know that there was still a Prince um, when he died. So, you know, it is it is what it is. I was kind of like- well, no, 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 no. He can't become a king because he's not of that lineage, even though he's married to the queen. So that's why he's still called Prince Philip. Sound like he he got a raw deal. <laughs> Apparently, he's twice as royal as his wife, though. But he ain't got the queen. She wasn't part of the right lineage, so he, he couldn't become. It's it's uh, like Meghan Markle. Like let's say, or what's her name? Whatever one's married to that uh, goofy uh, one. That's that that's that's Charles' uh, oldest son. Oh yeah, um, um, shit, Caitlyn. No, I don't know his uh, name. Bill. I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> he becomes king. <laughs> So his wife can never friend. become queen. She'll always be princess because she's Kate not Middleton. one of the lanes. That's that bitch's Kate name. Middleton can never I won't be forget queen. a beautiful white woman's name. I she can that. never become a queen. She can only be princess. <laughs> oh, just to give you a real, another Prince Philip quote before we go. He told the president of Nigeria that he looked like he was ready for bed because the president of Nigeria was dressed in a traditional robe. Come on. <laughs> he once told a 13-year-old who told him he wanted to be an astronaut that he should lose some weight. <laughs> this motherfucker was a walking Twitter. In this project, what is a, a, a goal or a ideal that you have as you do continue to work on this project about his time in Hawaii? Well, first of all, like, yes, that, that quote is a reflection of the core of the speech that he gave there. So he spoke before the first legislature of the Hawaiian uh, House of Representatives. It was the first time they ever met. It was three weeks after Hawaii became a state and he came and shared that speech. 
about his hope for us to move away from extremes, but still today we're sitting in those extremes. And, and he talked about something that I thought was super corny when I was younger. Uh, he talked about love. And I was like, man, like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Everybody love, what that mean, right? But it's really like, I, I think that there, you know, there's a lack of love, I think, in terms of how we deal with each other, how we move. And I think, uh, I think that in the same way that we want uh, white folks and we want this America to have love for us, because I feel very connected to my Americanism. Like I, I own being a part of America and I have uncles who fought in every branch of the military. My dad was an army guy. I have cousins who are on the police forces. I'm saying, I'm not gonna like give up. This is my place, right? I deserve this place. My family gave uh, hours and, and years of, of free labor to this country. So I feel like I own this, right? Uh, but so, so I want I want love from America, but as black folk, we also need to start that love with ourselves. And I think the love and the grace means that, all right, if you have a little bit of homophobia on you, I can't kick you out. Like this whole idea of cancel culture has to move to the side, at least for the next two years. Our focus has to be on how do we find those things we're coming on and not saying that we, uh, yeah, I'm saying that we learn how to, uh, to really do the thing that I hate. Other people will say they're like you. Uh, I, I can, um, you know, it's not like embracing people, but they're like, I, you know, I can, I can, uh, I will let you be. Right, the idea I'm gonna let you be who you are, and I'm not gonna try to make you change. And instead of focusing on the things I don't, I don't like about you, I'm gonna love you, and I'm gonna focus on the things I do. And I think that's what we have to do in this moment: is figure out what the fuck do we want and put together a plan to get it. Those things we can agree on. And I, you know, my big question for you all is like, what is it, man? What do y'all want? Cause I know, you know, I'm a little bit older. And so my generational perspective is, it's like, I have, I have a list I'm putting together. I talked to a brother who's the uh, president of the NAACP in Hawaii. And for a long time, I hadn't been like engaging with my elders who are part of organizations and stuff. But now I'm seeing the necessity, man, that time with, the king and the study and this is like, all right, we got to reach out. We got to reach out to our elders who may not see the world the way we do. Uh, we have to reach out to Black Lives Matter folks who may not see the world the way we do. We need to get into the spot where we claim the power we have shown in this election, right? Because this election is a derivative of the Black Lives Movement. Uh, it's uh, this moment that we're in. It's like the organization of Black folks who came together because they didn't want to see Black people get killed anymore. Which let me be very clear, Black Lives Matter, people articulated as this extreme organization. Now, it's one simple ask, please stop killing black people. It's really not that deep. And I think the rest of the rest of pe things people fear in terms of the left wing progressive agenda, like no, if you stop killing black people, we'd be happy. Black Lives Matter folks would be happy and we can move on to the next actionable item. Uh, to quote Jay Z, right? But 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 you know, my critique of that, I was just thinking about that is random. But it's like we can't move to the next actionable item until you stop killing black people, right? So we gotta have uh, in this next year figure out what those three uh, to five things we need to make happen in order to be able to keep move on and, and then to be able to sort of move on together as a country, move on together as a people. So. Uh, you know, that's what I'm hoping I inspire people to, 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 to get to a point where they say, okay, I don't have to agree with everything a person represents in order to find those things we have in common, focus on them and deliver them for Black people in this moment. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Sure. So, uh, so, so something that that keeps coming up that I that I hear it with you is that the the idea of us all coming together, but in my in my perspective, I feel like we're just so splintered as a people, and so at each other's necks about being perfect, about having that sort of like clean record that no one with a real voice can really stand up and say, I'm that dude, like like an MLK or a Malcolm X, you knew exactly who the leader was, you know, who was in the inner circle and everybody else is like, either you're with this or you need to shut up right now, right? So that's why we can have like a 50 cent say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna support Trump. We can have Lil Wayne say, I'm gonna support Trump. And everybody said, oh yeah, he sold a million records. He must have some value in this conversation as opposed to like, oh, he's a, he's a Senator or he actually is doing this work out there. And I don't know, it's just, it's such a, it's such a weird time to try to come together number one because as we started like generation x like teaching that generation that you're you're an individual mm-hmm. but then having the millennial generation say you're an individual and you <laughs> and you can control the world around you right so you don't have to watch any tv shows that you don't have to have to watch right you don't have to look at any anything on the internet that you don't have to watch right so you're so much into your own sort of bubble how do you break down at least part of that to connect with somebody that you may not 100% agree with. So I had this conversation with the brother, uh, his name is Virgil Roberts. Virgil Roberts is a fairly well-known attorney in LA. He's a black attorney, represents a lot of black clients. Uh, uh, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, a mentor. And I sort of was having that conversation with him and he was like, you know, you can look at it like that or you can look at the reality that we have so many awesome leaders now. We have so many people. Back then, there were very few people who were qualified to be king, right? In this generation, we have so many people who have qualified, who studied, who's done the community work, who's earned it, right? And I think that that's a part of it. It's like, first of all, it's a blessing to have so many, uh, to be overblessed in terms of people who had a capacity to lead folks. And I think that's awesome. Uh, but the answer to it ain't that deep as my mama would say. It really is just about starting with with this moment, with the space we're in right now. And it's about, it's about starting with love and not thinking of it as so complicated. I'm like, I'm saying it like, I, I don't know. I think about somebody like Killer Mike. Killer Mike has some very problematic uh, uh, sexism issues for me. So as a guy who's the father of two, two young girls, I have issues with the sexism that exists in the Killer Mike thing. And, you know, he, he's- Hope y'all heard that, Jared. So, so he's, <laughs> he's, he's a, but when it comes to the politics he's articulating, the idea of black economics, independence, I agree. So it's about saying, I love him enough to be like, look, brother, I, you know, I will share with you if you ask about your, my perspective on some of the views you have on women, right? Like I have an issue with that, but I, but that's not the point now. Love allows me to let you have grace and time and God will deal with you on that. And instead, let's just focus on this. Like, you know, let's black economics. What is it, our plan for black economics? And yes, we need leaders like that. We need leaders who don't marginalize people who are not, because, the way politics works, politics is not where we get our leaders from. Politics is about focusing on differences and highlighting those differences to isolate your people from the other people. And love is not about that. Love is about, uh, look, I, I, I wanna focus on the things we agree on. I wanna find those medium. And I'm saying that's the way it is. Like, I'm gonna provide you grace on everything. You are imperfect, Brandon. 
I, I don't know all the imperfections, but I'm sure your boys will kick in and let me know. But uh, <laughs> you're imperfect. But 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 I, but your imperfections are not the focus of my interaction with you. My focus is like, bro, hey, what? So I hear what you're saying. It's really tough, right? But what what is it we want to get done? Do, can you and I come up with some ideas of what we want to see done? Let's focus on that. Let's knock it out. Yeah, I'll just tell you this real quick about Brandon's imperfections. He had me put in, I might as well got a pilot's license to become a third wheel because the amount of different times I met up with Brandon, he was meeting up with another different beautiful woman that I was like, hold up, hold up. This is a new person now? Oh man, now I gotta, I gotta do the whole third wheel thing again where I gotta learn this person's backstory and act like I'm really interested. Brandon, can we get drunk yet? <laughs> <laughs> favorite black comedian and yes. so where can people yeah. support yep. Yep. your yep. film <laughs> yeah let's do that favorite black comedian uh is dave Chappelle. he most definitely has good company uh you know from people like richard Pryor. uh but you know in this generation dave is just talks the best shit man he he just is really insightful but mm. funny as hell like it's just mm. like dave Chappelle is for sure there's no there's nobody close in this generation really? Wow. Nobody close. Uh, so yeah. he said in this generation, he didn't say like, like how would you compare Eddie Murphy stand up to Dave Chappelle? Well, Eddie Murphy was, but he's a mainstream dude, right? So, so when you talk about commercial versus independent people, like Eddie talked about life stuff and about stuff that everybody mm. could relate to. Yeah. Dave Chappelle talks about black shit. Like he, Dave Chappelle right. talks about black shit, even though it's accessible to mainstream, he, he articulates a black, perspective on this current moment in time and he always feels like he says what I, I have in my head and my heart like in ways that really make, move me so yeah, that, yeah that's for sure my guy okay uh, and then where can yeah where can people find uh your your work and uh where where can they find you to access more of, of your knowledge and, and the work you're doing most definitely check out uh com, which is the project that i'm working on and from that you can connect to my social and uh, my website and the rest of the stuff. But that's what I'm focusing on in this moment right now. We're raising funds to do the work of setting that project up, which is really about a movement to uh, answer the question, what's next? Mm -hmm. Using the story of MLK's time in Hawaii as a uh, backdrop to have that conversation. So I'm excited about doing the project, man. It's been awesome. And again, like it's taught me love in a way that's like made me be open to not like, I'm telling you, Edward knows, I, I get, I, you know, it's hard to hate a raid comes out sometime, you know, because when you see people doing wrong, you just, you know what I mean? You see people doing wrong, you just want to spank them. But I, I think now I'm trying to be a little, kinder, a little more kinder. Okay. Okay. Perfect. And once again, it's www.akingandparadise.com. That's it. Awesome. Can black people save baseball? Is that a serious <laughs> question? Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, oh, so in, in our in this past couple months with baseball, we've been, you know, exalting the different black players, black diaspora players that are, you know, infusing the game. Uh, so don't have me go. Black people save everything. Next. Oh, <laughs> told y'all. I told y'all. And uh, last question. How many screenshots are on your phone? 
Oh Come my on. God. I just <laughs> deleted 7,700 of them. That's more than me. No, 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 no